So we're in uh, chapter 7. We're halfway through. I don't know how halfway statistically or halfway, halfway, but we're halfway through. We're going to be uh, talking about the unchanging Savior, how Jesus doesn't change. Hebrews 7, 1 through 8 is, is the text we're going to be in. And uh, as the years go by, as everyone in here has lived, the longer you've lived, uh, Dale, my dad, they're, they're, Dale's going to be 90 in January. And uh, he's sick. Do you think Dale's seen a lot of change? A lot of change. Yeah. We've all seen a lot of change. It doesn't matter how old we are. Uh, if we, we, we go back for, to when we were a child to now, all of us have seen a lot of change in, in our lives and in the world. However, Christ does not change. By the way, when Dale was born, Christ was the same. He was still walking the earth. <laughs> you know, you know, he's never changed. He's, he's never changed. He's been the same since the beginning of time. Hebrews 13.6 says this, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what, what can man do to me? The reason we can confidently say that is because Jesus doesn't change. His love, his compassion, and his concern for us will always remain the same. He will always be the same. Regardless of how we may accept or reject him, he never changes. His character never changes. It will remain the same. Because of this, we can trust him, knowing he cares and understands us. We've talked about that in, in past weeks, how, how because Jesus actually lived a life and went through all the pain and suffering, and that there's nothing that we could go through that he did not go through. He just went without, without sinning. So, we're going to talk about the personality of Christ, how that does not change. Verse 7, verse... Verse 1 through 10, verse 1 says this, For Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the, of the kings and blessed him. You know, we've heard his name now several times over the last few weeks, and you're like, who is he? Who is this character they keep talking about from the Old Testament? That, that, that this character named Melchizedek. You see, who is this figure that keeps popping up in a couple of uh, the, the, the 
in, in Hebrews, but has only ever been spoken about twice in the Old Testament. Two times. Two times. Once, once in Genesis and once in Psalms 110 where he, where he says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Which is, is funny because he's only mentioned twice. And before this, he was only mentioned once. Who is this shadowy figure? And the other time was in Genesis 14. So at the beginning of the Bible. See, here's the deal. The, the Levites, priestly Levites, people weren't in the lineage yet because Abraham hadn't spawned his offspring yet. He, had, he hadn't had them, had he? He hadn't had his son and his son hadn't had, had the, the 12 tribes. You know, so, so it's like, wow, where did this priest come from? In Genesis 14, 18, it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salam, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. So obviously, when they talk about God the Most High, they're talking about the same God we worship. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, And blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And by the way, Abraham at this time, biblically, would have been the most influential person in the world. There's lots written about Abraham. But there's not a lot written about Melchizedek. But it does say, Melchizedek, king of Salaam, blessed Abraham. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Melchizedek was the king of Salaam, which is Jerusalem, before Jerusalem existed. Which means king of peace. The fact that he held these two positions are unique to to Jewish history. He was king, he had power over man, and as a priest, he had power with God. Why is the Hebrew writer so focused on Melchizedek? And he's trying to show you, See, what we're saying about him, we're talking really, he was just a foreshadow, a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the high priest. He is king of kings. Lord of lords. He is all of that. So, So he's saying, Jesus is the priest of priests in this text. Verse 2 says, And to Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name. 
king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salaam. That is king of peace. Abraham paid his tithes. He gave them. He's, he's, so, so they're saying Jesus is also not only king, he's not only priest, but he is full of peace. He's bringing peace to us. Malachi 3, 8, 10 says this, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the, to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So Abraham, usually a tithe is given to, from, from the least to the most high. Yet, like I said earlier, at that time, Abraham was considered the highest at that time. Yet he tithed to Melchizedek. Another reason we know that this is a, a symbol of Jesus to come. And now in Hebrews, it's pointing to us, this is talking about Jesus. That is why we play the video at the beginning, and I'm going to play it all the time till you can memorize everything that's said in that video. Because Jesus is the better everything. That's what the whole of Hebrews is about. That, that there's nobody ever going to be like Jesus. Jesus' personality, verse 3 says, He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See, what's so funny about this King Melchizedek that they're talking about is that there is no, they don't, they don't say where he comes from. They don't see where he goes. That's why he's like this mystery, shadowy figure in the Bible. And we don't know all about him. So everything we can say is speculation. But we do know this, that he is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. His practice See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his, of the spoils, verse 4 says. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their, their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descendants from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. See, Abraham paid tithes before the Ten Commandments. Before God even said, hey, you need to give. But obviously, we can go back to the beginning of the Bible. And obviously, somewhere along the line, they realized that they would offer offerings to God. 
you know, Cain and Abel. Cain wouldn't have killed Abel. He, they both made an offering. So an offering has been something that we've done since the beginning of our creation. It's something that's in our foundation because they realized where everything came from. Our generation forgot where everything comes from. That's why we're so chintzy. In general. Because we, we think everything comes from us. I go to work. I'm the one who went to school. I'm the one who learned how to do this. We don't take into account that everything we have was given to us by our creator. According to Psalms 139, he created you in your mother's womb. So he gave you everything that makes you up. That means he gave you your brain to be able to go to school, to study, and do all the things that you do. He gave you all your talent that you have. Without that, you couldn't get the job you went to. So ultimately, all comes from him. Verse 7 through 10 says, It is beyond despite that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal man, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So, Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. And he was really, it's funny because the way the text says, I love the Bible because it's so confusing and clear at the same time. And, and you don't have to understand every, every word of the Bible uh, to understand what God's plan is for your life. Levi was not yet born. Levi was the guy who was going to be bring the, 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 the Levi's were the, he was the original priest. The one that God chose his line, his lineage to be the priest. That's why it's so strange that 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 Jesus is the preach the, the priest of priests. But he doesn't come from the line. That, that line. He comes from the, li- the line of Judah. He didn't come from the priestly line. Jesus came from a different line. The perfection of Christ. Verse 15 and 16 says this, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, now he's talking about Jesus, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. That was God's plan. 
Christ was not from the tribe of Levi. He was a priest that would never die. See, all the other priests before him and all the priests after him die. Jesus never dies. Ever. He is alive and well. John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word. That means Jesus was alive before the beginning of time. He existed. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. They were all together, hanging out, as I like to say. God didn't create us because He was lonely. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So we not only have a Jesus that is high priest, we have Jesus the creator of the universe. Because the Old Testament at the beginning says God spoke. God spoke. And Jesus is the word of God. So God, when God speaks, who do you think speaking? The Word. Jesus spoke everything into existence. Jesus. Because there's... I'm never going to preach on the Trinity because it's too confusing for me. But you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They all exist, all intertwine. But they're three separate identities, but they're one person. Very hard to understand. That's why we put a word and, they, and people will go, well, they don't say Trinity in the Bible. We had to put a worldly name to something to describe it for our wee little minds to even get a little grasp of what it means. Verse 17 says, For it is is witnessed of him. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, Christ, like Melchizedek, had no beginning and no end. See, we can't find a beginning or an end for Melchizedek. We don't even know who he is. But he's trying to say, trying to get the readers to know, the Jewish people he's writing to, to say, look, Jesus isn't going to die. He didn't die. He lives forever. Because remember, these people had gone back to their Jewish traditions. And they started losing their faith, basically. And started doing all these ritual things. Going to the right service. Going to do the right thing. Looking for something else that's just as good as Jesus. And that is why the writer of Hebrews wrote wrote this whole letter. John 14, 10 says this, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. So when Jesus came, he came because of what the Father told him to do. See, this is, when it's, this is why I don't want to ever preach on the Trinity because it gets too complicated. Because now, there's authority over the 
over the, 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 the Trinity. The Father is the head. Then you have the Son. Then you have the Spirit. Even though it works in a circle, all back and forth, right? There's a head. Even though they're equal and they're all the same God. Personality, there's a head. So he's under his father's instructions, walking this earth, doing his will. Verse 18 says, For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. You see, the priesthood followed a tradition, but Christ broke that tradition. He followed God's law. Verse 19 says this, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. So next week we're going to talk about this better thing that he, he, he brought, the new covenant that he, he brought for us. We celebrated it when we took the Lord's Supper, the, the table today, when we broke bread and drank the cup. The new covenant that we're in with Christ now. It doesn't mean we don't have to be, follow the law. I tell you there's a cost to being a Christian. I'm not going to ever not tell you that there's not a cost to, to being a Christian. If you are a believer in Christ, it costs you something. There's no such thing as cheap grace. There's no such thing about as cheap grace. If you've accepted Christ as your personal savior, there's no such thing as cheap grace. Cheap grace says, oh, I accept Christ as my personal savior, but I can go out there and do whatever I want. No, that's you did not accept Christ. Shall I tell you why? Because if you did accept Christ, you would have put him as Lord and Savior over your life, not just Savior. Because that's what he asks us to do. Cheap grace says, I can do whatever I want because God's paid the price. I don't, I mean, I say it. People live this way. People teach this way. I say it and I shred away. I think, yeah, you can, you can li- I can go and live however I want. I just have to, to accept Christ. And that would be like spitting in God's face saying, yeah, what you did, Christ, I would be at his front of his, his cross spitting at him while he's dying for me and living like I want, but accepting what he's doing for me. You can't do that. That's cheap grace. Real grace is, yes, God, I accept what you've done for me. I know that there's nothing I can do to pay you back. But because I accept what you've done for me, I'm going to live for you because now you are my Lord over my life. You are my Lord. So guess what? Lords tell you what to do. We are supposed to live for Christ. He doesn't say, hey, come, accept me and go do whatever you want. He actually says this to everybody that follows him. Come, follow me. 
Not, I died on a cross so you can be pathetic and use, use me as an, a, a, a get-out-of-jail card. He died so you could accept him because your Lord is you and you suck at it. The purity, the the pure the the purity of Christ. The that's wrong, by the way, I think, because I did. Did I do the purity already? Let me have a look at it. I, did I miss some? Yes. I hold on. We got all day. We don't really because there's a meeting. I missed two somehow. We're going to go back to the priesthood, and I'm going to hit it real quick because it's not that much. He was a pure priest. So we're going to go back to verses 11 and 14. Now, if, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? The Old Testament priests were only types of symbols of this coming priest. He was a perfect priest. For that, verse 12 through 14 says, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is, a necess- nec- is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with that tribe. Moses said nothing about priests. The Son of God is our priest. He will always be our priest. Nothing's going to change that. Once you accept Christ as your Savior, He is the priest over your life. The reason they have to say that is because in this book, the Hebrew people would keep wanting to go to other priests and they wanted to, they wanted to sacrifice more sacrifices when God, Jesus had paid this sacrifice for them. He had paid the price. That's written wrong before you write it down. It's supposed to be the promise of Christ. Because I make mistakes all the time. Verse 20. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. See, God promised that Christ would always be a priest and intercede for mankind. This is what's so amazing, is we have a God right now. Right now, we have a God that's sitting on a throne, interceding for us. Why do you think it's so important to me to have a Wednesday night prayer group. Because I believe that God is interceding for this church. 
And I believe that the only way we can change anything is by praying to him. I believe his word tells me to talk to him. The only way I know how is through prayer. And when I pray, I say this. This is, this is how I... God, when I pray, I lift up my voice. Now, I know God can understand everything because he's God. Okay? But, but Jesus has to intercede for me. Because I say stupid stuff. Right? When I pray, I ask for stuff. And, and it's probably not what I'm supposed to be asking for. Okay? So I think that when I get on my knees or when I stand up, because there is no special way to pray, you can walk down the street and pray. You can pray all day long. Uh, you should. When I talk to God, I ask, I pray to him. And Jesus, like, grabs that prayer. This is just my example. And he goes, well, we will change that a little bit before I put it in front of the Father. It's like he, 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 he says, look, this is what I want. This is, he, he's praying. His heart's in it. It's like the country music song. My, the, best, the best prayer, the best. I'm not, and I don't listen to country music. I do listen to country music. <laughs> the best prayers are God's unanswered prayers. The ones he didn't answer for me. If you look over your life, really, and you go, and you wrote down every single prayer that you've ever wrote down. And you wrote the results of every single one of them prayers. Because there's a result, by the way. He either answered them the way you asked him. He either said no, because that's not for you. He's got better for you. Or he's got something else planned for you. Or he said maybe later. And eventually he answered it. So if you'd kept track of all your prayers, you've probably got some of all of them category. Some that haven't been answered yet. Some that he said no to. And some that he answered pretty quickly. We've all got prayers like that. If we actually think about the prayers we've prayed over the, our lives, we would, we would have them types of prayers. Well, Jesus has, has been interceding for us, say, yeah, throw that one out, that one's... Because he knows what's good for us. Because he is our Lord. He is our creator. So he knows what's good for us. So he, he, he like gets them to God. Now I'm not sure this is exactly how it works. This is the way I get my brain wrapped around how it works. Because I know that God can understand every word that I speak because he's God. But the Bible tells me that Jesus stands in the gap for me between me and God. So Jesus has a purpose. So he's interceding. He, do you realize that also means that Jesus is praying for you right now? Jesus is praying for you. That's what it means to intercede. Like if somebody comes to me, we've been praying for Jacob for, for a long time. Seems like a long, long time that we've been lifting up. In, but that is us interceding for Jacob. So if the Bible says Jesus is interceding for us, I would presume that means Jesus is praying for you as well. 
You don't think Jesus wants the best for your life? Not what you consider the best, what he considers the best for your life. We have a God that put on flesh to save us and is now praying for us. You tell me a religion that has that. None. We have a God that cares for us. Verse 21 through 22 says, But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. What we're going to be talking about next week, a better covenant. Jesus brings us a better covenant. We had a covenant and it was works-based. You had to try to be good. Nobody could succeed. That's why we had it, by the way, to show us that we couldn't do it and we needed a savior. The Old Testament is all about Jesus and all about how we cannot keep the law. That's what it's all about. The whole, the whole Old Testament, it says, you can't keep it, but this is a foreshadow of someone that can. His name is Jesus. See, Christ was the perfect priest. The Old Testament priests were not perfect. They were just human beings. It's like some people come to pastors and go, hey, can you pray for me because you're closer to God than me? No, I'm not. No pastor in the world is closer to God. No priest is closer to God than you are. There's no wall. There's no curtain. There's nothing anymore. You are as close to God as I will ever be. My prayers don't get there any faster than your prayers. I like when you say, can you pray for me? But I don't like the fact that you say, can you pray for me because you're a pastor? You see, and this isn't this church. This is people in the world. By the way, I will do some little jobs here and there. And people will go, hey, once they find out I'm a pastor, hey, can you pray for me? I'm like, yeah, I'll pray for you. But you know, you could pray for you too. You know, you're just as close to God as I am. If you know him, do you know him? Great opener, by the way. Great opener. Now it's the purity of Christ. 23. The former priests were made in num- many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. See, the Old Testament priests died. But Christ, our priest, will live forever. John eleven twenty five through 26 says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I believe he's asking you. Do you believe this? Let's live like we believe it. 
Let's live like we believe what we're told. Verse 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He has the power to save all people. The text we read when we were doing communion in Isaiah 53, it says, all people had sinned. All people had turned away. He died for all people. Do you know somebody that needs him? Romans 10.13 says this, for everyone who calls on his name of the Lord will be saved. 26, verse 26 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Notice them, them characteristics of Christ. He was a high priest. He was a holy. He was innocent. He was unstained. He was separated from us, sinners. But he died for us, exalted above the heavens. That is our Jesus. What a savior. What a savior we have in Jesus. Verse 27 says, he, was no need, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered himself. He died once. There need be no more sacrifices. He had to tell these people that they were making sacrifices. We still make sacrifices to, do you know? We don't need to. Sometimes in our life we go, well, we, 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 when I say that, we do things for the wrong motive. We don't do things because we love God. We do things because we're trying to pay the price for what we've done. We go through life and we make mistakes and we do something to make up for that mistake. That's making a sacrifice. The price has been paid. That's saying, hey, Jesus, I know you paid for all my sins, but you really didn't pay for this one. So I'm going to pay for this one. That's saying, Jesus, you weren't enough. Jesus died once and for all. John 1, 7, 1, John, 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But finally, verse 28, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appears a son who has been made perfect forever. Talking about Jesus. He is perfect forever. No, we don't need to make sacrifices anymore. By the way, if you sin today, well, when you sin today, <laughs> when you sin today, that sin has been paid for. Now, do you need to ask for forgiveness? Yes, 100%. 
Do you need to turn away from that sin? Yes, 100%. Do you need to ask uh, for help? Yes. Do you need other people to hold you accountable? Yes, because we're poor at holding ourselves accountable. We need to know that the sin that we commit has been paid for. It doesn't mean we have to keep doing it. We can help each other in our struggles because we all have struggles. We've got to remember that the Old Testament priests were human, but Christ is divine and omnipotent, able to help and save everyone. So, since Christ made one sacrifice, we need not make any more sacrifices. Today, Christ stands between God and man, interceding for us. His death on the cross cleanses man from all sin, past, present, and future. If we confess our sins, he will hear us, forgiving us all sin. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Without his, uh, Hebrews, with Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We don't have to shed any blood because it's already been shed. So for next week's sermon, read eight, uh, Hebrews 8, 1 through 13 to get ready for the be- a better covenant. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you are a God. You never change. You, you, you have stayed the, ch- the, the, the same since the beginning of time. You died once and for all for us. That you paid for a, a, our sins. Past, present, and future. You are the supreme priest. The supreme sacrifice. We need to stop going back, God. And move forward. Stop living in the past of our regrets and our mistakes. And move forward. We need to live in the moment because you are, you are in tomorrow so we don't have to worry about tomorrow and you are in our past and you've forgiven that so we don't have to worry about that we need to live in the moment God help us to live there help us to to grow there as hard as that is for everybody in that this room to to forget the past and not worry about the future help us God to know that you sent your son Jesus Christ to pay that debt so we can live in his supremacy. So we can live with him praying and interceding for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.